Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. Okay, hey, if you got a copy of the scriptures this morning, let's go to Genesis chapter 37. We've been camping out in the story of Joseph, and that's on page 24 of the Bible in front of you. 24 of the Bible in front of you on Genesis 37. If you don't have a home church, make sure you find a church that preaches and teaches the scriptures faithfully. And uh, we at this church uh, value that, uh, the value of the scriptures and the preaching and teaching of it. So make sure you find one. That does the same thing. It's on the screen behind me if you'd like to follow along as well. The story of Joseph is a story about a family. And maybe you're like, you're coming this morning, you're like, oh my gosh, I did not want to talk about my family this morning. But the story of Joseph is about a family. And we begin this series, church, I just really believe this uh, with my heart, with my, just sort of just with my heart is that many of us are walking through very deep hurts in our families, very deep and very, very strong hurts in our families, whether it's family hurt, broken relationships, things that seem very bleak. And church, I just believe that God is just bigger than that. I believe God is stronger, and I believe that God is going to do some amazing things, some very deep work in our families. I just believe that with my whole heart. So this just, let's just trust God with this. And it's restoring work. I just believe God's going to do restoring work in our families. And a lot of us are just walking through this currently right now. And so I'm just praying that God, through the lines of this, through the chapters and through the lines of this, that the real stuff of the Bible, this is real life. This is just very raw. Um, the real stuff of the Bible, the real faith, the real things that we read about and see throughout the scriptures and also throughout this story, that God would, would make himself very real to you in a very real way in the very real and hard stuff that comes through this. You're like, if I had a dime every time pastor said real, then I would be a rich man. So there you go. The real stuff of family life would be met with the real God of the universe and the real God here today who knows your families. The church, that there's a God weaving a plan and purpose behind all of this, and there's a purpose behind the very strained family relationships in general. And I believe that God wants to do a very great deal of healing process in our families. And it's this this very stuff of life that's found in this. And so I just want this to just kind of sink down deep within us and our families and our relationships. And so real human beings in the Western Pennsylvania and and real, real stuff, real hard work of restoration that comes with this, that we would trust in God's word and we would trust in what he says about this, what's true about relationships and relationship life. And we've said this, but the great truths about the Bible are all about relationships with God and then with one another. And it's in this light where we find the story of Joseph from the Old Testament. And the story about Joseph is a story about a family, but it's also a story about redemption and forgiveness and how God weaves throughout all this story and how Joseph, a Joseph can appear in a family. And uh, so friends, it can happen in yours and it can happen in your life currently. And so this, just, I'm praying that the real stuff of restoration would come to our families, that we would discover that all that God is calling us toward and believing and trusting in the folks that are placed in our circles. And maybe for you, it's not necessarily family, but you sure, you sure know a group of friends or a friend or, or somebody that in your very close sphere of influences that this could be, apply to. And so just want us to be aware of that and just sort of 
uh, be mindful of that. Just not this bigger than family, right? Um, so it's kind of the big picture. You're just kind of walking in, you're catching up on the Joseph story, or maybe you're dusting off the cobwebs of the life of Joseph. And the story, if you kind of walk in or need a refresher about the story of Joseph, uh, it lands in the very last part of the very first book of the Bible called Genesis. And Joseph's a story um, about a family. And the, this, this family is about how jealousy and envy and favoritism, they, they've sort of, they start to mark this uh, beginnings of this family. And I just think that sometimes a lot of hurt can be caused by some of those qualities. And it happened in Joseph's family. And you know, it's, it's just even from the beginning of time, when, when, when man fell, when we fell uh, from the relationship, this perfect relationship with God, and sin entered the world, and it was fractured relationships within a family context. And here is Joseph. And the Bible, and of course, what we read last week, is that Joseph's father is named Jacob. And Jacob, we learn from very, very early on in 30, chapter 37. He says, Israel Love Joseph more than any of his other sons, and so makes no bones about who he likes. And he is eleven. He is he is one of the twelve sons, and yet his father makes no bones as to who he loves the most. And it just sets this stage for this life of like favoritism, and it sets this trajectory for even his brothers and for his family. And I just think that a lot of hurt is caused by that. And we find this in this Joseph story as well. And so just from even from that kind of spirals a little bit out of control and you, you find this in the story of his brothers and, and we'll find this today even. But I just want to say like sin has very devastating consequences. And maybe for you, it's not necessarily like overt jealousy, but maybe it's another type of sin that has caused a huge rift in your family. And for this, this, this is Joseph. At this point, he's age 17. And for the first 17 years of Joseph's life, he had been raised in a family where Jacob, his father's overt love for, the, for, for, the, for Joseph was the overt cause of all of the favoritism and beginnings of this Joseph story. And maybe, maybe many families, I just think like many families have been torn apart from favoritism. And whether it's overt or subtle, it's, it can be torn apart from that. And the kingdom of God uh, has no, there's no place for that in the kingdom of God um, in terms of favoritism. And so um, we find that throughout the beginnings of the story of life of Joseph and tracing his family line that the hard work of redemption through our relationships and families can happen. But oftentimes we also have to look at our family history as well and see where did things happen and how are things, how are the patterns. And so the Joseph story is a good reminder that the Bible does not sugarcoat sin or the, the effects of sin or the consequences of sin. Um, and it, it doesn't sugarcoat how that affects a family and how it can tear a family apart. Um, and more broadly, that our relationships, not necessarily family as well. But you see, even through all of this chaos and what it feels like today, it's going to be a little bit more chaotic with this. But God chose that family to be the agent of blessing to the world. And out of that family comes Joseph, and out of it comes redemption. And church, it can happen in your family. It can happen in your family where things seem very bleak and very dark, and things seem out of control and chaotic. Actually, God is at work um, very, very much. And so there's hope for your story today. And there's a plan behind it all. And I believe God is in the business of redeeming lives. Can I say that again? That God is in the business of redeeming lives, and that includes our families. Amen? Amen. Are you awake this morning? Amen. 
Amen. Okay, including our families. Today takes us to the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 37. Let's go there, chapter, uh, verse 12. We'll pick this up. We're going to read through verse 36. So just hang in there with me um, in this story. Uh, just, just go with me as this story progresses. So, now his brothers had gone to graze their flocks near Shechem, and Israel, which was uh, another name for Jacob, said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Sort of peculiar, kind of knowing that that Joseph, and what we read last week, Joseph had this dream, and and he says this dream, and so there's not really, there's some tension there between he and his brothers, and yet his father's like, okay, I'm going to go send you to your brother. So he says, very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent them off to the valley of Hebron. I I believe they said it was about, that's about a four to five day journey. So it's quite a bit of a distance uh, from from this point. And so it just take a while to get to his brothers. Considerable distance. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? And he replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing among their flocks? And they, they moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them, notice this little statement here. They moved on from, from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan, another 14-mile journey. So if you just put this in perspective, uh, 14 miles from here, you know, uh, to the boardman or something, I don't know. Um, I heard them, I, and it's interesting, they moved on from here, the man answered, I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. It's just this peculiar of like God's sovereignty. And this is like, I heard them say this. This is all hearsay, but yet God is orchestrating this, this plan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But when they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him and premeditated like, I see you in the distance. And yet I'm thinking about this even in my own um, and in my own mind. And they say, here comes that what? Dreamer. Notice they don't, the brothers don't say his name. They don't have the audacity to say his name. They just say, here comes that dreamer. This isn't, this is their brother. I mean, for goodness sakes. And they're like, here comes that, that dreamer because he had a dream. And they said to each other, come now, let's kill him. And throw him into one of those cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes out of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried, not to, rescue, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and to take, them back, take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his what? of his robe, and we learned from last week that he gets this very special robe from his father, um, this ornate robe, colorful robe, this robe that was very fancy, the ornate robe that he was wearing, and they took him, and they threw him into the cistern, and the cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. Um, most of the time, there, were, there was water in, the, in these cisterns in, in that area, in that part of the culture, but there, this uh, tells us that there isn't any water in it, so it's just dry. I mean, it is dry as dry, and this is not a good situation. So as they, so this is interesting too, verse 25, as they sat down to eat their meal, they have no remorse. 
You throw your brother into a pit with no water, and you are dining steak and potatoes after that. There is no remorse here. They sat down to eat their meal. They looked up, and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, and their camels were loaded with spices and balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What shall we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him after all. He is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came up by his brothers, pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. And when Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes and he went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't here. Where can I turn now? He got Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they then they took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see if it's your, whether it's your son's robe. I mean, how do you get to the point of then faking the death and then lying to your own father about this? It's crazy. And he recognized it and said, it's my son's robe. It's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many, many days. All of his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Okay, so we read that story. It's a little long. There's a lot of things that happen in this story. Maybe you're like, where do I go from here? What do I do? Where, where does this, what do I go with this from here? Where do I go with this story from here? And I find that the Bible includes that Joseph had to get redirected. Did you kind of notice that little detail? Like the Bible notices that they had to get redirected. Joseph goes on to there to Dothan, another 14 miles north. And he's far away from his father's protection at this point. And I just kept thinking about this, this part of the story because all of the Bible is inspired by God and all of it is included in here for a reason. And maybe you're like, there is no part to that. There's no part to this story other than the Bible giving us information, but I think that it highlights Joseph's character. I think it highlights a little bit of Joseph's character to keep going and to keep seeking his brothers. Here he is far away from home, and yet he is still looking for his brothers and honoring his father's word. And certainly he knew that they were jealous of him, but it shows that God's plans are still working in the midst of all of this chaos, in the midst of all of this. I mean, Joseph just so happens to encounter a person who it's, he's, who's overheard the conversation with his brothers and then directs them to them. I mean, it's all God's providence. And this is so far away from home at this point in time. You see, God's providence and his plans cannot be thwarted, and his plans are always good. Know that there are some very deep moments in time and obvious signs of God's providence and God at work, and we ought to not dismiss the hand of God, even dismiss the hand of God even at work, even in conversations or ways that seem very subtle. God is at work, and God was at work even within this family. And God made sure Joseph hooked up with his brothers even though that he knew what was going to happen next. And we find that story, it's kind of like, well, God knew this, and God knew it was going to happen in this, and his God's plan was even in effect all of this. But church, God is at work all the time. God's purposes are being accomplished, 
And even when it doesn't feel it or seem like it or doesn't even, doesn't, it doesn't feel like it or seem like it, they know that God is working in the midst of it all. That God is bigger, way more powerful, and more often at work than we can give him credit for. So in our relationships, how does this get to this point? How do we get to the point in our relationships? Like, how does it get to the point of supreme hatred? Like, how does it get to the point of hatred and then plotting murder from a distance? I mean, yes, he's got this special robe, and he's the father's favorite, and he gets to this point, and he's like this, and the brothers plot his murder, and then they plot a cover-up. How does it get to this point in our relationships? How, does, how do things happen like this? And I read through this story. It just reminded me of the effects of sin and how it can turn very devastating and how it can have very devastating consequences. And jealousy and envy are the hallmark of the brothers' stories. And they were, those two qualities were left unchecked in this story. You see, and it grew and it grew and it grew. And the danger what I find with this story and what I find with this is just sin in general because unrepentant and unchecked sin can lead to very destructive relationships with God and also with others. And apparently the sin and what might have been on the onset looked like very maybe harmless jealousy or at the very onset looked like harmless. It can turn into something more sinister, church, if it's left unchecked. Sin has the same effect. If it's left unchecked, it can snowball out of control. So church, it is vital to not lessen or dampen the effects of sin because sin is destructive and has alienated us from God. And in order for us to understand the depths of God's love, we have to understand the depths of sin. To understand and grapple with the effects of sin, we have to understand that God so loves us. We also understand the depth of our sin to behold the grace and the power of God in, in, in this process of this. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 reminds us, says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our what? Flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of what? Wrath. And when we replace Jesus as the Lord over our life, we declare that he is, not we, but he has defeated the power of sin on the cross and that by his blood we are completely made new. He has completely defeated that for us. But we continue to live victoriously in the power of the Spirit of God working with us and then walking with us into the Spirit, into the life that he has for us. It's Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And this is a daily walk in submission to the Lord. This is a daily walk in a culture that might like to diminish sin and then the effects of sin and the power of sin. But church, it is destructive. And it took God sending his one and only son and to pay a debt that we couldn't pay so that we could walk in freedom, so that we can walk in newness of life. And praise God that if you are in Christ, church, you no longer have the penalty of sin in your life. Praise God that you're forever free and that life is for you and that life and life eternal is awaiting for you. And it's what's called this kind of this walking with the spirit is this big, long church word called sanctification. Sanctification becoming is this word that means becoming more and more like Jesus. As we submit to Jesus and as we submit to his word and to his leading, we become like him and we look more and more like him as we submit to him every single day. I just found this story to, to kind of think about this, and it, it looks like a lot of our relationships. 
Just the plain hard work church of relationships. It just happens. Like just plain old hard relationship life and family life and friend life. Church, it doesn't take me to say this to say an amen, but we know this. Relationships take hard work. It just does. They just take hard work. And like this just re- passage just reminds me of how hard it can take relationships and how hard this, how we have to work at this. Um, clearly, God's hand is all across this account. We know that God's hand is providentially across all this account. He superintends this. His grace and kindness superintends this account, and we know this. God's weaving a plan of redemption through it all. There's purposes behind that. And we find in this account, in the Joseph story, very ordinary events of life, bickering between family, drama, tension, the chaos, you name it. There is tension in this family, and I can imagine that's probably swarming in our head as well as we kind of walked in here, like tension uh, and just, just family conflict or whatever, or drama or whatever that might be. And sometimes it's complications from our own sin, and sometimes it's just webs that are kind of we're caught in the middle of all of it. Maybe you're there as well. Now, there's a plan out of this. And there's a story to be weaved of redemption through this. Um, recently, you might have heard about this uh, in uh, the 1970s. Um, there's a, there, is a, there is a documentary on Netflix, and I recently watched this, about the, the, the Three Mile Island in Middletown, Pennsylvania. I don't know if anyone remembers this, when nuclear reactors in Middletown kind of, there was some uh, nuclear, what's the word, um, I don't know, nuclear reactor or um, something went on in the atmosphere and, uh, in central Pennsylvania. This was in the 1970s. And so I'm not an expert in science by any means. Um, and uh, I, I'm not an expert. I did not do well in science in high school. But, okay, um, I do know this. Um, this is Netflix, okay? So it's just, you know, it's Netflix. So um, I do know this, that, that um, what happened in 19, since 1979, that there were nuclear reactors um, that things weren't looking too hot that day, no pun intended. Um, and uh, morning of 1979, one of the alarms was going off, uh, began ringing, and one of the, re- the reactors uh, was, get- was no longer circulating, and they try everything they could to prevent a core meltdown. So panic ensued, and there was paranoia that radioactivity was getting into the Earth's atmosphere at that point. They realized that they had been within 30 minutes of a complete meltdown, simply caused by another reactor going haywire. Um, now, I don't know, I'm not an expert by any means of this. I don't know much about nuclear power plants, or if anything, but I know that they're explosive. Um, I know that much, and I know that they're dangerous if they are left unchecked, and oftentimes, too, in our relationships. So, too, can conflict boil beneath the surface and then have the potential to erupt if it is left unchecked. Sin has the same effect. We see that jealousy and favoritism underpin this account, this family, and then they're out for blood. How does it turn to that? Proverbs 14.30 reminds me that a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. Book of the Bible called James. In James chapter 3, we're reminded of this. James 3. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, it is unspiritual, it is demonic. 
For if you have, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder in every evil practice. And maybe for you, it's not necessarily envy, but it's gossip. Or maybe it's another kind of sin, like kind of underpins and kind of boils a little bit underneath. This is, maybe it's gossip. And maybe on the surface, gossip seems like kind of nice to do. It feels right to do. But it is very harmful. And if you let that get out of hand, it can destroy a relationship. And I've seen it firsthand. That's why sin is destructive. No matter how we want to slice the pie, we'll always be left with crumbs if sin is left unhindered and unchecked. And my friend, a friend of mine uh, and uh, a mentor of mine named Steve, he wrote a, life, wrote a book about Joseph. And he says this about this chapter in chapter 37. He says, sinful thoughts, his brother's hatred lead to sinful plans, which lead to sinful actions, selling him to the living death of slavery. The sin of envy doesn't seem like a very big deal. In the early verses of chapter 37, the, others may that may, the brothers may have thought they had finished him off with envy, but the sin of envy isn't quite finished with them yet. And sin is, is centripetal in its effect. And disliking your brother doesn't seem to be very harmful. But when it's we find the cause of some bitter conflict, and eventually they're out for a cover-up. It's the cause of a nuclear reactor, I mean, exploding. I mean, so, it's, it's, so what can we learn from this? What can we glean from this? How can we kind of live into this, into the relationships that we have, into the people or the person that we have in our mind currently that's like right at the forefront of our mind, that like, God is like putting right at the forefront in our mind. How can we live into this? What can we do? So Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal what? Life. So if we habitually offer ourselves to God, His power takes root in us and frees us from sin's grip. Where we put our devotion and habits defines the spiritual growth that we're living. If our habits are placing it in the patterns of sin, then sin becomes more and more prevalent in our lives and controlling. And it's always on the prowl looking to destroy us, and we have to avoid that at all costs. You see, sometimes we think about faith. This is the dynamic nature of faith. The the faith itself, yes, it is faith in God, but it's also horizontal. It's vertical and it's horizontal. In our relationships with one another, faith has to work itself out in our relationships with one another. And folks, they take very hard work. Yet we have to allow faith to start to kind of muscle itself outward. And so we muscle it vertical to God, and we also do it outward in our relationships with others. And we just have to see that as well in our relationships with others. In our belief in God, we also have to believe that God's Word says it's true about our relationships with each other as well. And that also includes forgiveness. It does not mean that when forgiveness occurs, that everything is 100% completely worked out for maybe another person. There are elements of forgiveness that there's going to take time and working out and trust rebuilt and all of this and where forgiveness occurs. There are elements of trust and honesty that have to be done in order to fully, fully um, reconcile that relationship. But forgiveness is real. It's a real thing. God forgave us. And the Bible says that we should forgive. Might, this, might have this been avoided, maybe, 
of some of this, this Joseph story? Could have this been avoided? Could it be, given that all we know about this family so far, that our relationships could be avoided to get to this point? Could, could they be avoided? Given what we know to be true about the Bible, which is about relationships with God and then others, could it be that this week be the week that the real relationships are pursued with a real-life kind of like courageous faith that we might lean in on the hard stuff? And it's hard. Who is it that comes to mind when it comes into leaning into the hard stuff of life? I also learned, just, just, I've thought about this too. It's like when we're following Jesus, or maybe, maybe you're a little bit newer in faith, but following Jesus is rarely accomplished in a straight line. It's, it's, there's twists and turns. There are redirections. And what happens in the Joseph story is he's redirected by these people. I mean, notice the story takes Joseph. This is all in response to just a dream that he had. And then all of a sudden his brothers are out for, of course, he had this special robe and he's his father's thing. This is a response to this dream. They say, here comes that dreamer. Can't even say his name. The path to the brothers was found by some other person's hearsay. The third they went, the Dothan. And then when he gets there, he's torn apart from his robe, and his brothers are out there to kill him. Gets thrown into a pit, and then his brothers are sitting there waiting for their steak and potatoes. They find some merchants who are just so happened to be walking along, and then he's sold into Egypt by some just so happened merchants that seem to be walking by, a land very far away from his home with no semblance of the culture or customs of the day. And yet, church, don't miss it. God's hand was all over it. God's hand was still all over that account. Know that God's hand is still upon your life. Even if it feels like you're in the bottom of a pit with no water in it. That God's hand was still all over this account. Maybe sometimes, could it be, church, that we maybe we far too often, we, we sort of, we lose faith because we think, we feel like if my life is chaos, therefore God can't be at work in my life. But yet what we find with the Joseph story is that there's actually a God who's weaving redemption through the midst of it. And Joseph's story tells us if it feels very complicated, if life feels very complicated, if life is in a pit, if you're in a pit that you didn't choose for yourself, or it feels as though life is very complicated, or getting sold into slavery at the hands of merchants coming across the desert, or maybe you're just in that place where you're like, I didn't choose to be in this spot, God, and yet I'm here, and yet, like, what do I do with my life, and what do I do currently in my situation? And yet, here it is. It's like God is still orchestrating a significant life at every moment with a view that He intends to accomplish for your life. And His plans are good. And His plans are purposeful for your life. Whether you feel like maybe you're wondrously aiming through the desert, far from home, like Joseph, or at the bottom of a rainless pit, <laughs> or you know a relational conflict needs resolved, God is still working in your life, whether you know it or not. And it's best to be on his side, as we'll find out in the Joseph story to come. But as the old song goes, maybe you know it, trust and obey for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Worship team, will you come up as we sing this song?